Right to be read podcast, episode number 36. Non-standard interview with Jared Isley. You are listening to the Right to be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello there, this is Annie and you are listening to the Write to be Read podcast, the podcast that encourages and inspires writers. If you have not yet checked my free ebooks, please do so now. The books will help you fight writer's block, find professional but affordable book covers, and find out what you need to do after writing your book. So three ebooks with three important solutions at www.annealexander.com slash free. Well, today we have an extraordinary episode. In this episode, I have co-hosted with John Cully at his online learning podcast, and together we have interviewed Jared Isley. All three of us had fun, and I hope you will enjoy it too. So let's get started. Today, I'm delighted to not only introduce uh, Jared Easley, who's the host of the Star the Doubts podcast and co-founder of the podcast movement, but we've got a brand new format, a double header, because Annie Alexander has joined as well. Um, and um, we're going to basically, Annie and I are going to give um, Jared the third degree. Uh, Annie, how about saying hello before we get, get Jared onto the spot? Well, hello, everyone. I'm really happy to be here. It's, it's the first time in this format for me, too. So I hope we'll go to have fun and you'll have fun with us as well. I'm sure it's just. Sure, it's going to be great, and um, I just hope I don't talk too much. I really want to get Jared talking. Jared, could you just could you start perhaps for for the for the three people in the world who don't know who you are? Could you perhaps just um, briefly introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background and what you've been up to and and where you are now? I would love to. My name is Jared Easley, and about a year and a half ago, I decided to try something crazy, something I didn't know how to do, and that's podcasting and. I took a class, and that was a few months before, and I actually paid money, a lot of money, to attend a course that would teach me how to podcast. And I was so excited, and I got permission from my wife to spend that money on something that, that she kind of rolled her eyes about, <laughs> and went and took the class. And then the second day of that class, I found out that in order to have a podcast that that people are going to listen to and that is going to be effective you have to have really good quality and oh by the way here's my affiliate link for this expensive podcast setup <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember uh, I'd spent all this money to attend this class and then I hear I have to spend more money to buy the hardware to podcast and John I, I almost just stopped right there and said no this is not going to be for me and I was pretty discouraged, so I didn't start a podcast for nine months after I had taken that course because my mindset was, I can't have an effective podcast. I can't have a podcast that's going to be quality because I don't have the budget at that moment to purchase a lot of podcast hardware. And I, I want to stop right there and share with uh, anyone who's listening to this. That there may be times and there may be scenarios where you're wanting to make some decision or you're wanting to do something, but there's those ideas in your mind that say, well, I couldn't possibly do that because I don't have the experience and I don't have the resources. I don't have the network. And I totally relate to that. I can get it. In fact, I would say me too, <laughs> because I know what that's like. Uh, fortunately for me, I found out a few months later about the microphone that I still use. I, I have bought a better microphone, but I still use the same one 
It's the Audio Technica 2100. I don't know if uh, a lot of people have that in Armenia or in uh, the UK. I'm using that a, one, actually. <laughs> a reasonably priced microphone here in the U.S. I've, I've definitely had great Okay, great. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, and you sound wonderful, uh, Annie. Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I found out about this mic, John, and it was very, very reasonably priced here in the U.S. And when I found out about that microphone and I'd heard the quality and I'd heard the reviews, uh, the reputation, I knew, okay, there's really no good reason for me to not start a podcast now, except for one little thing, and that was I didn't know what to podcast about. And the, the topics that I could talk about were topics that just didn't really uh, get me excited. I have some expertise in other areas, but those are things that I didn't think would be uh, fun to talk about on a podcast or be very interesting. So that was more self-doubt, right? That was an opportunity for me to just say, ah, you know, podcasting must not be for me. But uh, I learned from listening to a podcast called Internet Business Mastery, uh, which is a great podcast that helps people figure out an online business. They shared that even if you're not the expert, you could be what's called the reporter. You can actually go and have conversations with experts. And I know that you understand this, John, and you understand this, Annie, because you uh, have these opportunities as well because both of you podcast. You don't have to know it all, but you can have conversations with people who have uh, expertise, uh, that have influence, and you can learn from them. And there are so many people out there that are gracious to come on a podcast and share that info or that insight. Right. Somebody, it's almost like free coaching, yeah. right? Some, somebody told me that the definition of a mess, uh, is an expert is, is somebody who only knows a little bit more than you do. So on, on that basis, <laughs> I, 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 I sort of scrape myself in as qualifying, but, um, but you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's quite a, um, uh, yeah, quite a step, I think, to, to jump in. But you, this, this only happened, what, a year ago then? I mean, when did you start this podcast? Yeah, a year, a year and a half ago. So I, I finally got started. I figured out, okay, I can have conversations with experts and, so it wasn't perfect. It wasn't polished. It didn't sound great. There was a lot of mistakes, but I took the opportunity to embrace my visibility because when I first started, John, nobody, and I really mean this, nobody listened to my podcast, and I have the analytics to prove it. <laughs> there was no audience whatsoever, and I remember thinking, I thought, I thought everybody was going to show up and listen to this podcast. I thought podcasting was the, the next big opportunity, and it is a great opportunity, but I just didn't have anybody listening to the show and it was so discouraging because i brought on a big name guest and i thought wow that's that's all you have to do that's the formula you, you interview a big name guest and then you know the audience shows up but that didn't happen okay so, so if you then i had to go through a process you, you, but you, you've got you've got a go brand ahead. new podcast you've got no audience um and yet you get a big name guest now there must be a story to that somewhere well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for anyone who's wanting to have conversations with experts, first of all, get to know John and Annie because you guys have cracked the code. But uh, in addition to getting to know John and Annie, I, I mean, I went to an, a, a conference uh, called New Media Expo, and I attended that particular event. I had uh, kind of researched it ahead of time, and I knew what some of the speakers were going to be there, and I decided before the conference I'd reach out to them and have conversations with them, try to get to know them a little bit on social media. And by doing that, I had a little bit of a connection, a little bit of a relationship, so that when I went to the event, I was able to meet them in person. And that opened up the door for me to later ask them to be a guest on my show, and they were more likely to say yes because you know we'd had that face-to-face -face interaction. So uh, my encouragement to anybody listening who wants to connect with high achievers 
uh, who wants to potentially interview people. There's lots of ways to do that. You can look for events. If events uh, may not be an opportunity where you live, uh, go on Amazon and look at some of the most uh, uh, some of the new and, and recent books that have been written on your topic because those authors are trying to sell that book so they want to share about the book. So that's always a good strategy. And there's lots of others. You can you can look and see who are some bloggers that are in your niche. Uh, would it be possible to share their story? Because bloggers aren't necessarily podcasting, so their readers would like to hear their voice. So that's always a fun way to, to test something is to, to interview a blogger who doesn't have a podcast. And then, I mean, there, there's loads of other ways. I won't go on and on about so, that. But so, yeah, that's exactly what I did. I followed that strategy. So we've established you've got no expertise. So um, you're starved the doubts. Um, I think the, the question podcast asks more questions than it, than it answers. What, what doubts did you feel were being starved? And, and what are you covering with your podcast? Well, in the beginning, it was, can I podcast? Uh, and then how do, how do you podcast if you have a bad audio and then to solve that problem? And then how do you get expert guests, solve that problem? And then it, the next problem was how do you build an audience? And that was the trickiest one because that, I'm sure a lot of uh, people who've tried to podcast or they've blogged or tried to do anything online, even if it's just social media, they understand it's not easy to build what they call a platform. That, that's a challenging thing. So my next obstacle was figuring that out. And so what I did was um, I got a message one day, I think it was a tweet and someone had encouraged me. They had listened to, they had actually listened to an episode and they took the time to tweet to me. And that's when I had a little bit of an aha moment. I realized that made me feel so good. And it encouraged me so much when someone shared my content and, you know, authentically connected with me in that way that it made me realize, hey, how many people are, am I friends with or how many people that I know that are starting out that also would be encouraged or would benefit from me sharing their content or encouraging them in the same way this person encouraged me? So from that day forward, I just made a little list, uh, made a Google spreadsheet. It wasn't perfect. It started out with about five people. And I just decided once a week, I'm going to connect with these people. Um, if they've got a new podcast or a new blog post, I'm going to share that episode or that post. I'm going to you know, tweet to them, so on and so forth. And I started doing that on a consistent basis. And the list became, uh, it went from five people to 10 people, 10 people to 20, 20 to 50. And over time, what happened is I, I created a rapport with those people that I was doing that for. And it took a lot of work and it took a lot of time and it wasn't ironed out. It wasn't neat, but I figured out different uh, strategies to um, do this in the most authentic way, but also kind of batch it and also uh, in some cases automate it. And I know that may sound a little bit off, but <laughs> there are ways to do it and I figured it out. And over time, what happened is I, I had a lot of rapport with a lot of people that appreciated me sharing their stuff, uh, being generous and noticing them. And, and then over time, yeah, just people started to, to be happy for me. They started to share my podcast. They started to tell other people about what I was doing. And um, in, in the book I've written, I know we'll segue into that later, but in the book I tell people when you're starting out and you're trying to grow your network, uh, you're by yourself. Nobody really notices you when you're by yourself. But what they do notice is when you have an army and I asked the question, how do you build the army? So in this case, I started with just creating a list of five people and saying, I'm going to notice these five people. It's got to be generous. It's got to be authentic. But 
and noticing them, whether it's commenting on a blog or sharing a podcast episode or just commenting on their social media or liking their post. If they don't have social media, then I send them an email. If they don't have email, I'll send them a handwritten card in the mail. Whatever I can do to, to be generous and notice them, make sure they know I appreciate them, uh, build a friendship, build a connection. And over time, that built rapport. And then that rapport generated reciprocity. And that's how you build the army. When you when you're by yourself saying, hey, listen to my podcast or read my book or buy my product, a lot of people won't see you. They'll ignore you. But when you have a lot of people saying, hey, check out Ani's book or, hey, listen to John's podcast, enough people are saying that, people listen to that. It catches their attention, and then it's believable. It's social proof that Pat Flynn talks about, and it's very powerful. So, uh, yeah, so that's what I wrote that book about is, is how to teach people to collaborate with others to, to start growing their network. But you, you went from that point then and thought – hey, why didn't I just start a, a conference? I mean, the, the audacity of it almost beggars belief. So, you know, you're, you're six months, no, probably nine, less than nine months into your podcast. So you think, I'm going to start a, um, a conference for the whole podcast movement. Um, so, you know, that, that, that takes a little bit of daring. Um, what, what was the story there? Other, other than well, the, I, lo- I love it the way you put it because... <laughs> possibly psychiatric help might be required. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... No, I mean that, but that's the show. The title of the show is called "Starve the Doubts," and and people would be really surprised what they could accomplish if they're willing to collaborate with other people. Uh, they're not necessarily trying to get all the credit themselves, and uh, they just think you know as smart as they can. Uh, they're, they're prudent, I guess, and then they get advice from smart people. So let me let me explain that. Uh, we again the following year at New Media Expo, uh, there's a podcasting track at that specific con conference and i heard overheard uh, people talking uh, that i was not directly in the conversation but i heard them say why isn't there a podcast conference and the next day i heard it again from different people and i realized from different books that i've read and different trainings i've had online that the market was saying what it wanted the market was the podcast community and they were saying they wanted a conference and it, it registered i knew okay this is a need. Now, how can this need be fulfilled? I don't have any experience with creating events, John, but what I did have is a podcast where I'd interviewed a gentleman named PT. His real name is Philip Taylor, but he founded the Financial Bloggers Conference. It's called FinCon, and there's several years into this conference now. It's very successful. It's very profitable, and it's just an awesome opportunity for people that are in that financial blogger community. And he didn't have experience with events, but he followed a few strategies, he got advice, and he, uh, over a couple of years, has built this this uh, great conference for that for that group. Uh, so I'd, I'd had him on my show. I had a connection with him because I'd interviewed him. So I reached out to him and I said, hey, if you were to start all over, what would you do? What advice would you give to somebody who's starting from scratch? And uh, he had a call with my business partners and I. I wasn't uh, naive enough to think that I could pull this off on my own. So I, I had strategically aligned with a couple of people I, I knew would be uh, ideal folks to uh, connect with on this type of opportunity. And we had a call with PT and he kind of gave us uh, some ideas on what he would do if he was starting over. And the next step was really critical, John. I hope your listeners don't miss this. This is the most important thing I would say. One of the most important things in this podcast, the biggest takeaway is validate your ideas. Uh, it, some people call it marketing before you manufacture. And 
what I mean by that is if you're coming out with a, a book or you're coming out with a product or you're coming out with a service, it's always wise to validate that before you write it or you build it. And so an example of that for podcast movement was we didn't want to create an expensive conference where we spent lots of time and resources, finances, so on and so forth, and not uh, and not be successful. So the best way for us to test that idea without having to put in our own money was a crowdfund campaign through Kickstarter. And we, John, we didn't have experience with Kickstarter at all. So we followed the same steps. What do we do? Okay, well, let's go look on Kickstarter. Are there any successfully funded events? And we found out there was almost no successfully funded events. So we could have backed away then and said, okay, this is a bad idea. Instead, we decided to be crazy and, and keep investigating. We looked at successfully funded campaigns, and we found some good ideas from those campaigns, even though they weren't events, borrowed them, made them our own. And then the next thing that you need in the list to create a successfully funded campaign is a large email list. And we didn't have an email list at all. So that was more uh, more of a reason that we were going to fail, or that's what I, the I, perception lo- I love was. this approach you have. You you have a list of things which yeah. tells tells you what you need to do, and at the same time, the second column tells you that it's empty in every area, and yeah. yet you st- and yet you still do it. <laughs> well, and, and that's my uh, encouragement to the listeners: is be creative, and as long as you're being prudent and creative and getting advice, uh, go ahead. You know, try stuff. So we knew that it was a limited risk to do a campaign. So we we didn't have an email list, but we had a network of podcaster friends. We reached out to them. We asked them if they would support the event, if they would uh, physically come and, and be there and, and speak, so on and so forth. We, we set that up, and then we launched the campaign, and we needed a minimum amount of $11,000 U.S. to secure a small conference center in a town called Addison, which is a suburb of Dallas, Texas. And so we, we launched the campaign. This was in February of 2014. And in nine hours, we hit $11,000. Amazing. And that, that was amazing because, again, we didn't have an email list. We didn't have any experience creating events. We, didn't, we had never done a Kickstarter campaign. So it, was, it really was an amazing testimony to uh, the the generosity of the podcast community, I, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> we were we were grateful. You know, we felt like God blessed us, all those things. So, yeah, we, we did the campaign, and in 30 days at the end of it, we had over $30,000, and that was plenty of money to validate our idea and, and plenty of money to go ahead and take the next steps to build the conference. Amazing. So, um, the, now, I know that the podcast movement conference happened on the same day as the UK Pod 14, the U- UK podcasting conference, because we had all these nice messages on the on the board. Um, an unfortunate clash of dates. But but who who um, who did you have speaking at your conference? So this is your first conference. You've never done one before. Um, and I'm now thinking I'm going to get blown away by the lineup. Who who, who was speaking? <laughs> well, the, the yeah, it's funny you mentioned the UK event. I actually talked with Mike and Isabella, and I encouraged them to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny. They, they, had, they were um, sponsoring podcast movement. Uh, and so I said, hey, you guys should consider doing this in the UK. And, and sure enough, they, they were not holding back. They were like, let's do it. So it was kind of neat. You know, there ended up being two events on that same weekend, uh, one in the UK and one in Texas. But yeah, that said, we had uh, some great speakers at Podcast Movement. We had Chris Brogan, 
Uh, we had John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire. We had Jamie Tardy from The Eventual Millionaire and uh, Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man, Srinivas Rao from Unmistakable Creative, and then just a host of other uh, great, great podcasters. It was a phenomenal event, man, and, and we were very, very fortunate uh, for year one. I mean, <laughs> the feedback was tremendous. No, I, I've heard great things about it, and it really sounds uh, sounds amazing. Um, I, I want to, to bring Annie in here and basically hand, hand the mic over to Annie because um, you've written this amazing book, uh, which I have read um, and really enjoyed and got a lot from. Um, but um, Annie's the book expert. So, um, <laughs> okay, here, here's, the, here's the bright shining light. Shine it into Jared's eyes. Annie, all yours. <laughs> well, real quick, Johnny, I've seen your yeah. study and you have a lot of books in your study. So I, yeah. I, I, Annie's an expert, but I would, I would say you're a close second. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't write them. I can only read them. <laughs> well, I haven't written nonfiction yet either. So, you know, <laughs> I'm a fiction author, but I was lucky enough to read parts of the book before it was published. So, you know, it was really a big honor um, that Jared shared some pieces of it beforewards. And uh, I was just wondering, when I was listening to this story and this amazing success story of Jared being a newbie podcaster and then having a successful podcast and creating amazing relationships and ending up with a big event, which actually uh, I, in a far Armenian, heard about and was amazed with the feedback and saw the pictures and could only imagine how great it was. So having all that, what made you think about writing a book? Why did you need a book for that? <laughs> that's a great that's a great question. So I'd wanted to write a book and I just didn't know what to write about. And then I told myself I'm not a writer. So because I'm not a writer, I couldn't possibly write a book. But then thankfully something happened. A, a friend of mine, his name is Ellery Wells, he wrote a real short, to-the-point Kindle book, self-published, about starting a podcast with under 200 U.S. dollars, a, a professional podcast. Mm -hmm. And he walks through the steps of, of what are the requirements and how to do that. And the, he launched that book in Amazon, and it, it just didn't get the attention that it should have. And, uh, you know, I remember seeing that process and being happy for him. I even bought the book to support him, but just nobody, nobody showed up and he didn't do real well. Well, a couple of weeks after that, he teamed up with some guy that he met from his mastermind group. And this gentleman's name is Jimmy Burgess. He had a history of uh, success with uh, helping new authors mm -hmm. do their absolute best in Amazon with their book launch. And so they, they relaunched Ellery's book, and when they did the relaunch, they reached out to a bunch of friends and family and his network, and they said, hey, we're going to lower the price to, uh, let's say, 99 cents and on this particular day or this particular weekend. And, and they got enough people to buy the book on a particular day that it actually caused a spike in the sales, and the spike was so significant that it caused his book to hit number one in a couple of categories. Mm -hmm. And and at that point, you know, everybody takes the screenshot on and posts it on Facebook and everything. So everybody sees, hey, there's here's this number one best selling author in Amazon. And obviously, I'm thrilled for my friend, but I also realized, hey, this is something that almost anybody could do, assuming they had a little bit of strategy and they're willing to roll up their sleeves and actually write the book. And I had done a presentation for, um, we were trying to sell tickets for Podcast Movement, so we were fortunate. Uh, my business partner, Dan Franks, and I did a presentation for John Lee Dumas and the Podcaster Paradise Group, and the presentation was on growing your audience 
through collaboration. And I remember at the end of that presentation, there was a lot of people that re- reached out to me that really in- appreciated it and wanted to know more, wanted to do a deeper dive. And that was an aha moment. But at, at the time, I was so busy with podcast movement, I just kind of tucked that idea into a file in my brain and said, that, I'll come back to that. That could be a product. That could be a book. You know, I'll, I'll address that later. So when I saw Ellery's success with the relaunch of his book, Working with Jimmy Burgess, I knew, okay, I could write a Kindle book. I could do it on the topic of this presentation that I did a few months before. I could follow the same strategy. I could launch it the weekend of podcast movement, and I bet that book would do okay. It mm-hmm. might do. It might do well. It wasn't a perfect idea, but it was a good enough thing to say, "Hey, I'm, I'm going to try to do this." So I took a month, and Annie can testify to this because Annie and I have been friends now for a while. And I reached out to Annie on a number of occasions. She's a busy <laughs> person. She's got a lot of responsibilities, but she was gracious enough to to uh, read my email and and I shared with her some rough drafts and said, "Would you give me your perspective?" And she was uh, so kind to do that and. Uh, then it was time to launch the book. We followed the strategy. We told everybody, hey, 99 cents on this particular weekend. Fortunately for me, there was podcast movement and there was the UK podcasting event at the same day. So we leveraged those hashtags mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we tweeted it out and told everybody. And, and sure enough, we sold a lot of books that weekend and we had uh, a number one best-selling Amazon book in three categories and yeah, that was that was an amazing experience. My wife, especially, she never thought I'd ever write a book, much less have a book <laughs> on Amazon, much less have it, you know, be a bestseller. So, but let's not kid ourselves. The book was ninety nine cents, and I, you know, got a lot of people to buy it on a specific day to help make that possible. But it's something that anybody could do. So it's it's just it a cool doesn't thing. matter because there are many many books with ninety nine cents price tag and they don't do good at all. So it's you know it's not only the price, it's not only the right strategy. It's also the fact that the it was a book on the right topic on a, on a topic which was you know which had demand in the right timing because all podcasters were around the this topic at that point and also uh, it was a good book so the quality matters as well because uh, you know people uh, talk to each other if it wasn't a good book they wouldn't recommend it to others so but uh, before um, writing this book I presume you only had a podcast did you blog also along with that or it was only a podcast no only a podcast I've I've Okay, always so, said I'm not a writer, I'm a podcaster. Okay, so since you didn't have any writing experiences before, which were your biggest struggles? I, what kind of challenges did you have while writing this first book? It was your first writing experience. What did you have in the beginning? Uh, th- this answer is going to sound bad, Annie, and I don't mean to give a bad answer, but but this is the truth. It was ignorance. <laughs> it was, I, I'm not a writer. I don't claim to be a writer. So because I'm not a writer, I'm not going to pretend to be a writer. I'm just going to write what I feel is helpful, what I feel is information that is uh, solving a problem. And I just decided I'm going to follow that strategy. I'm going to stick to it. And some people will read this book and they'll say, well, there's some grammar issues and uh, you probably could have had a better uh, way of capturing this particular thought. And and I'm sure all of that's true, but I didn't allow that to stop me. And that's my encouragement to people who are listening is you're never going to be perfect. Perfection is your enemy. 
but go ahead and if you can do something that solves a problem that helps other people, then don't hold back. Go ahead and share that. And I would almost say that's your responsibility to do that. Can I ask a question about um, the book writing process, um, Jared? Sure. You, you wrote the first draft. And what's the process after that? Because at some point, presumably, um, you've got to get it, uh, you know, somebody or you do it yourself has got to edit the book and go through it and get all the typos out and all the rest of it. So, so what was the what was the sort of steps? Because you sound like a very methodical guy. What were the steps you employed <laughs> to that? I mean, you must have a spreadsheet with the, the various steps on it somewhere. Well, what I did is that we had done a presentation, so we already had an outline or a framework, and that would be step one for anyone who's listening who wants to write a book is you need to have your framework. And for people that don't know how to do that outline, if John, let's say for example, John and I were sitting down having coffee, and I said, John tell me what it takes uh, to be an expert on podcasting. And John and I were having coffee and John would say, well, Jared, there's, there's three things you need to know if you're going to be a podcaster. And then he tells me those three things over coffee. Well, well, that's a book. If you think about it, what, what could you share sitting down with coffee with a friend or sitting down over a, a glass of wine and you're giving them advice and telling them what they need to know. That's your outline. And so I had my framework because of that presentation. And then it was just, uh, writing that down, uh, getting advice from a couple blogger friends, uh, good people like Annie helped me out. And then I found someone to help me with the editing. So I didn't dare try to do that myself. Uh, I had a person that was recommended to me and I uh, connected with her and went through the editing process and then it was ready to ship. Amazing. Sorry, yeah, Annie, I, I interrupted. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I was just wondering, what kind of expectations did you have with this book? When you were writing it, you you imagined something like after the launch of the book, what will happen? What were the expectations you had? I think the expectations was to test something new, to try something that I didn't think I'd ever do. And I was I won't lie, I wanted the Amazon number one ranking because I had seen someone else that I knew accomplish that. I believed with the podcast movement and the price being lowered that weekend and, you know, just the amount of support for the, you know, podcasting community, I, I knew that should be possible. And it was. So, I mean, maybe, you know, some people could call it good timing. It is what it is. Uh, it worked and, yeah, no, no regrets. And you were quite productive. I mean, there are many people who write, mu who are writers actually, and write much, much slower than you did. You actually do, did it in in what time frame? Uh, one month. About a month. Yeah, about a month. And I, and I went to the local library. I went to the local coffee shop. I just did what I had to do. I took my laptop and I so turned off Facebook. What <laughs> you got to turn off Facebook. Okay. So what else did keep you being productive? Because along with the book, I mean, you were not writing only the book, right? You had your podcast, you were organizing the podcast movement. So you had plenty of things in your plate. So what kept you be so productive and managed to write your book in just, you know, one month, which is very good time frame? Well, I also have a, a three-year-old daughter. I have a wife. I have contracting work that I do. Yeah, so I had a, accountability to uh, clients. Uh, yeah, so there was a lot going on. And, and in that case, I had to batch stuff. So on certain days, I knew I'm going to focus on these things. Got to get it done. And then that leaves me a Tuesday and a Wednesday to really focus on writing. And I had to make it count, and I did my absolute best. And that's why I got myself away from my normal environment and went to a library or went to a place that I'm not necessarily comfortable or familiar in. So I turned off my phone. I stayed away from Facebook, stayed away from Twitter, and just 
uh, as Stephen Pressfield says, I did the work. <laughs> and yeah, but I didn't overthink it too. And I, th- I think I encourage your listeners uh, to really, really focus on that. Don't overthink it. Perfection will ruin you every time. Yeah, it doesn't need to be perfect. Just uh, share what you think is valuable. And sometimes that's all you need. Absolutely. I mean, no one's book is perfect. Even like, you know, the most well-known books still have readers who didn't like that book. So it's, you know, you, you will never write a book which will be liked by everyone. So it's, you know, it doesn't even, it isn't even worth trying. So, uh, but did you enjoy the process? How did it feel? Because I mean, for writers who are like writers who, for whom writing is their calling, it's just they cannot not to write. And since you your story is a bit different. You kind of, you know, came to it and it was your first writing experience. How did it feel? I actually really enjoyed it so much. So I'm a glutton for punishment, Annie. I'm, I'm writing a second book. So <laughs> <laughs> that, but that, but that's it. Think about that in life. You try something new and you're not really good at it first. And, and maybe it's a job and you have your supervisor or someone in your department that helps you get comfortable that first week or two and then over time you get competent at something and you're ready to take on additional responsibilities and and you're able to to do well hopefully with those tasks it's the same thing i mean you're not going to know unless you try it and so my advice to the listeners try whatever it is on your heart um you know get good advice think through make sure you do have uh, some kind of strategy or process but then go ahead and take that step and you might find that you really enjoy it and it, it turns into something that you uh, are able to be uh, proficient at and bring value to people. So I, I say, you know, go for it. But you're not going to know unless you try. Yeah, I, exactly. So uh, what what else besides, you know, the, the the fact that you reached your goal, you became number one Amazon bestseller author and you, you became an author for the first time and you enjoyed the, the ride, let's say. Um, what else did it did this book bring to your life? I mean, did, 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 how did it change it? Did, did it bring any major impact? Absolutely. Well, the, the big thing, and, and we're not talking money because uh, books can make money, but for most authors, they're not going to make a lot of money. But what it does is it establishes, at a minimum, it establishes perceived credibility, meaning uh, people perceive you as being you know, higher up the mountain than you are. <laughs> but it, it's something about when you write your idea and you publish it, whether it's self-publishing or traditional publishing, just p- publishing, people value it more. And so I had shared some of the concepts in that book before I'd written it on other podcasts or on my own podcast, and some people didn't really care. Uh, it just kind of got the message got lost on the shuffle. But when it was an actual book, it was it was more valuable. People saw it as as a bigger deal, mm-hmm. and so that's that's good. That's a good a good encouragement also to anyone who's listening is go ahead and put your ideas into a self published book because it, it is it's a perceived credibility. People all of a sudden see you as making moves and it actually gives other people permission to think bigger, to to dream a little bigger. When they see you having a little bit of a win, they see you making some progress. They say, what can I do? That's great that Ani's had this success. That's great that Johnny has this, you know, uh, John has this podcast and he's doing so well, you know, what, what could I do? And you give permission to, yeah, people, to dream a little bit bigger, to think outside the box. And, and that's that's one good reason to, to go ahead and go for it. And it's not like a huge difference, right? If you had a really good uh, 
prepared presentation it's just you know a little bit of extra push and it can always become a book so it's not like you know um, it's something terribly difficult to do or you know a torturing experience it's it's not difficult as difficult as people think it may be so it's uh, of course everyone should try it and and there is not I don't believe that there is such a thing like you know a writer or a non-writer you know writers write as long as you write something you are a writer so it doesn't really <laughs> can i ask you bookworms a question um yes. we i mean there's a lot of discussion about you know how long books have to be now the the simple answer i guess is it has to be as long as it needs to be to answer the question but um when you're writing for the kindle platform particularly um annie you'll have a view on this as well i'm sure is there a sort of a, a minimum length 15,000 words is there a, you know is there something you you don't need to go beyond um, because the, I think the temptation when you're writing particularly a non-fiction book is to um, keep on adding stuff in you think oh yes I could put that in I could put that in uh, at what point do you, you say enough is enough well actually uh, non-fiction uh, books are usually shorter than the fiction books and the mini- I mean there is no such thing as a fixed minimum but usually they start I mean a full length Kindle non-fiction book should be uh, at least 12,000 words long because yeah, it, I, I say, uh, go ahead, Annie. Yeah, so it's, and, and I, I think, I mean, this is my personal assumption, but I think that it shouldn't be much longer than 25,000, maybe 30 max, 30,000 words. Okay, that's helpful. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a different perspective. So uh, my, my perspective is whatever, and it's kind of alludes to what you said, John, is, is whatever it takes to, to solve the problem. And in my case, I don't read long books. I read short books. So try to try to think about your target person that's going to read this book. Do they read long books or short books? Can you share this book in 20,000 words? Does it have to be 40? You know, think about those things. And then uh, what if you sat down and wrote 1,000 words a day for 20 days? You could have a book. So this is the, we're almost back to the Mark Twain saying, you know, um, I wanted to write you a short letter, but I didn't have a time, so I wrote you a long one. So I think writing <laughs> writing yeah. a, short, a short book and making it really – um, punchy and packed full. I think that requires more, more work than just waffling on for, for 30,000 words, doesn't it? Oh, well said. Yeah, I think so, because then, you know, every word should be a gold. <laughs> yeah. If it's short, then, you know, people expect to at least get uh, a minimum value out of this short book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ani, I want to share one more thing. Is I was talking to my friend, and he wrote a book, and all he did was he recorded himself talking about the different pieces of his outline he sent that to someone to have it transcribed, and then he just kind of cleaned up the transcription, and that was his book. And I thought, mm. oh, that makes it so easy. Like, is it really that easy? Like, why? Well, I, I, I think I worked too hard on my last book. I probably should have done that. <laughs> yeah, I heard uh, a similar approach from another writer. It seems that it's getting popular, just, you know, uh, sharing thoughts, uh, recording them, and then, you know. Uh, well, it depends. There are many people uh, who prefer to talk. There are some who prefer to type it down. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if... Uh, for, for me, it would be more difficult, to be honest. I prefer to type. But uh, if it works well for podcasters, then that's the route to go. <laughs> yep. So um, 
Jared, what are your plans for the future? I mean, other than running for president at the next election. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, why, why not, right? No, I, uh, one of my plans is to eventually meet uh, you and Ani. I don't know when and where, but uh, maybe I'll make it over to the UK. I don't know if you knew this, John, but I actually lived in the UK for six months. I, I can tell it's in your accent, actually. <laughs> yeah, clearly in the accent. <laughs> but I, it's true. I was in the UK. I was in Slough All right. for six months and. uh yeah, I don't know that I recommend Slough, but I really liked being in the UK. So I'm hoping to come back. I still got some friends over there. Uh, but I, the, the in terms of business and podcasting, things of that nature, we have a an online conference. So there were some people that couldn't afford to come to Podcast Movement because it was in Dallas, and you know they just live on the other side of the planet, and that's okay. We have an online conference now that's in January. Uh, it's going to be two weeks in January, two different sessions per day during that two-week period. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, a very fair price point on the conference. So it's a way for you to anyone who's listening that's interested in, in growing their business and, and being a better podcaster. This is the conference to consider attending. And it's all virtual. It's all online. And that's at podcastersummit.com. That sounds that sounds amazing, and um, perhaps a bit another later stage you can you know, well we'll certainly get the links to it, but um, okay. you can let us know more about you know what the tickets are going to be and that sort of thing. Uh, one sure. thing one thing we haven't critically done, Jared, is mention the name of your book. Everybody's sitting here hearing wonderful things about it, but we haven't <laughs> actually called it out. Um, I could do that, but I think it'd be better coming from you. <laughs> well, well, the name. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The the name of the book is The 4-Hour Workweek. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's not The 4-Hour Workweek. It's called Podcasting Good to Great, and the subtitle is How to Grow Your Audience Through Collaboration. Brilliant. Yeah, and it's an, an excellent read. I can certainly verify that. Uh, my only complaint about it is it's very difficult to take my notes out of my Kindle, and I'm always highlighting stuff, but you, it's a bit of a struggle to, to accumulate those. Um, Jared, where can people learn more about you? Because I'm sure they're going to be absolutely intrigued now. Well, the first place is to listen to your podcast, John. They need to keep hitting play on this podcast. And if they have time for other podcasts after they've listened to your episodes and Ani's episodes, then there's a third option that's called Starve the Doubts. They can go to starvethedoubts.com to listen to a third podcast option. Brilliant. Okay. And I'll make sure that's all in my show notes, and I'm sure Annie will as well. Um, Annie, is there anything else you wish to hit Mr. Mr. Easley with before we liberate him from this stranglehold? Well, <laughs> hitting him, no, but I think that people should really pay attention to what he said because uh, he's a live example of inspiration and encouragement because uh, actually just, you know, a few years ago, he was in uh, your listeners' shoes and my listeners' shoes, and now he's come so far away and he's such a success person so it's just you know uh, it's possible it happens uh, and they shouldn't give up brilliant and in, in my parlance that makes you a a true influencer and this will go out as a an influencer interview on my podcast um jared it's been a phenomenal pleasure um annie it's been fantastic fun um doing this double hander with you and um i've learned more about booking I, I mean i listen to your podcast as well annie but in you know recording a podcast i've now learned quite a lot about writing an ebook and maybe that's what i'm going to have to go and do so um annie thank you very much jared um a phenomenal thank you for being an amazing guest 
Well, that was it for today. As always, please email me at ani at anialexander.com, Annie spelled A-N-I. If you have any questions or feedback, or if you would like to be interviewed for the show, or simply you would like to say hi, I answer every single email and love connecting with my listeners. That helps me believe that there are people out there who actually listen to my show. So take care, write, and share your stories with the world. Meet you again soon.